Amen. You can have a seat. And uh, while you're being seated, won't you make some noise for our worship team real fast? They always do an incredible job. Uh, so, one, I'm excited that you guys are here this morning. Um, Pastor John actually had some family come in for Thanksgiving, and I believe Miss Linnell is going on a mission trip next week, kind of right around the Thanksgiving day. And so, they had their family come in, so uh, be praying for them that they get to just rest this weekend and eat a lot of good food and all that. And so, uh, I want to challenge you uh, to always pray for them, you know, not just when they're away, but... You know, in this season of uncertainty, like it's pretty crucial that the church continues to to be one, be obedient to God, but also that we would just be led by him. And so I, I want to challenge you every day, lift up Pastor John, lift up uh, Pastor Linnell, and, and continue to uh, cover them and just a hedge of protection. And so uh, I want to challenge you to do that. Um, but uh, real fast, I, uh, I told my wife that I, I would make sure everyone knew that she dressed me today. So if you like my suit, you have to tell her she even got the pocket square and everything. So I, I feel real classy up here, just so y'all know. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, I, I am really excited to, to be here uh, just for the opportunity to share with you this morning. This is your first time. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm just one of the staff pastors here. Usually I help out with worship, um, but this weekend I, I really do feel like God's just kind of placed a word on my heart uh, for this church, but also for the, the church in America. And and you guys, you know as well as I do that just the whole year, 2020, has probably been the craziest year. I, I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old, and it's been the most uncertain year of my entire life. It's almost every week we're just kind of figuring out what restaurants are open, uh, you know, what's happening with COVID, what's happening with the election, um, you know, do I go to work, do I, do I work from home? And so there's all of these things that are constantly changing all year, and, and I think if you could label this year with one word, to me, it would be the year of uncertainty. But in the, you know, despite uncertainty, despite all this craziness that's going on, we serve a God that's certain. We serve a God that's still on his throne. COVID, um, this election stuff, everything that's revolving right now in our world, it, it didn't catch God by surprise. How many people believe that this morning, that, that he's in control, that he's sovereign? And so the church can take a step back, take a deep breath and say, you know what? There's nothing to be stressed out about because my God's got this. Amen. And so um, I, I do feel um, like this, this message today, I, you know, I preached it last night and at the end of it, I had several people come and ask me, well, how'd you, how'd you think it went? And I was like, man, I felt like it was like a little bit heavy, you know, but I also think that God wants to challenge his church today. So today uh, we're going we're gonna to roll through uh, just a passage of scripture and, uh, and as we do I'm going to break it up in two or three parts and I'm going to make some points and I want you to, to write some notes, take some notes and I think it's a Pastor Mike saying but note takers are history makers so make sure you write some stuff down, jot some things down in your phone. Um, but we're going we're gonna to kind of jump into uh, this passage. is found in Exodus chapter 13. And this whole passage is about Moses um, coming down from the mountain. And the Israelite people have just kind of created this golden calf to worship. Okay, so before this chapter, I think it's back in maybe chapter 12 through 14, God is leading the Israelite people out of Egypt 
And so Moses has, has kind of been part of this, this miracle God's working in this season for the Israelites. And if you know, uh, the Israelites were in Egypt for 430 years. Okay, so they were there. They were in bondage. They were enslaved to the uh, Egyptians for 430 years. You know the story. There's 10 plagues. And the plagues alone... Uh, are, are miracles in themselves that, that the, the Israelites got to see firsthand uh, just through the plagues. But then right after the plagues, when Moses led the Israelite people out of Egypt, he split the Red Sea and millions of people walked through on dry ground. So that also by itself is, is a miracle in itself. And so we find ourselves in this season where the Israelite people, they've been delivered from Egypt. Um, they've been led out by Moses. And just to give you kind of a time frame here, they were led out of Egypt in about our month of April. Just so you kind of get this in your head. Moses, just a few months later, about June and July, he goes up on the mount, uh, mountain of Sinai, and whenever he's there, he's there for 40 days. God gives him the, the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets, and then while Moses is away, the Israelite people fashion a golden calf to worship. Okay, so just so you know, that's, that's where this story uh, picks up, uh, and literally the title of this passage is The Golden Calf. So um, I'm going to read through this. It's kind of a big chunk of scripture, but I think it's okay to read the Bible when you're at church. So we're going we're gonna to read through this, and, uh, and as we do, follow along. If you've got a Bible, follow along on the screen or your phone. Uh, but anyway, uh, Exodus 32, uh, verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go, who will go before us. As, your, as, your, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with the tool. I want you to kind of hear that for just a moment. It says, then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So again, this, this story, if we pause for just a second, this is in June or July. They were led out of uh, Egypt way back in April. They created this golden calf that day, and they said, this is the thing that actually led you out of Egypt, even though it didn't exist when we, when we left out of Egypt. It, it doesn't really make much sense. And so it says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got, into, uh, got up to indulge in revelry. Another way to say that is they got up to indulge in sin. Then the Lord said to Moses, Moses is still on top of the mountain spending time with God. This is part of his 40 days. It says, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods. O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and then I will make you into a great nation. So right here, what God is saying, he's saying, 
I'm mad at the Israelites. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. But I'm going to complete the promise that I made to Abraham, which is, you know, you're going to have sons and daughters as numerous as the stars in the sky. There's this huge promise that God gives to Abraham. And he can still complete that promise if only Moses is the only person that actually still exists from the Jewish race. Does that make sense so far? So he's saying, I'm going to wipe everybody else away and I'll complete the promise through you. And so God's a little bit upset, but then it says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, uh, why should uh, your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? So he, he kind of flips this around. At the beginning, God was saying, you brought these people out of Egypt. You did this because he's a little bit upset. But in this moment, Moses is saying, God, you delivered us. You're the one who brought us out of Egypt. It says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God, our Lord. He said, why would your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make you descendants, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So I know that was kind of a, a big passage of scripture here, but what I want to do, I want to go ahead and give you a point, uh, and I usually have three points when I, when I try to share, but this first point, I want you to write it down, and then we're going to tie it back into the passage, but point number one is we must understand the character of God. We must, as the church, we must understand the character of God. And if we bring it even a little bit further, as believers and as Christians, we must understand the character of God. And so what this doesn't suggest is that we have God figured out. We, in, in infinite lifetimes, we will never be able to figure out God. But I do think that God says that, that we ought to seek him, be intimate with him, because the more we seek him, the, the closer we draw to him, the more we begin to see like him. And so it's crucial for the church today to understand the character of God because if we don't understand the character of God, how can we preach God? Okay? And so if we kind of dive back into this passage, um, the Israelite people in this season, they've been, they've been talking about this promised land. It's been promised to Abraham. They've heard about this for generations. Moses led the people out of Egypt. And so all that's on the Israelite people's minds is that we're about to go into the promised land. So this is only just a few a few months. And the Israelite people, they don't have the patience to receive God's promise and God's timing. Has anybody ever felt like you've done this before, where it's like, man, I feel like God's kind of laid something on my heart, but I, it's hard for me to actually have the patience to wait. And so this is where the Israelite people are. And if you kind of jump back into the passage, what they do, instead of waiting on God's timing, they say, hey, Aaron, we don't know where Moses is. He's been gone for 40 days. Um, we need something to lead us into the promised land. Another way to say it is we need something to give us what we want. And so the Israelite people, they're there, and they create this golden calf, and then they say, okay, this golden calf is going to lead us into the promised land. And so what they begin to do is they shift their belief, they shift what they worship to benefit themselves. 
okay? And I, and I kind of want to stay right here for just a second, but I think that this is something that's super common in the church today. And so what, what the church begins to do is that there is the, the character of God that's completely accurate, that lines up with the word, and then there's a character of God that can be preached that's skewed three or four degrees, and every time we begin to skew the character of God, we actually place a God beside God, just like the Israelite people did in this passage. Okay, and so what began to happen in this passage is they, they didn't say, hey, we're done with our old God, we're, we're, we're done with that. They just said, hey, I'm going to add this God, and we're going to have a festival to both gods. Okay, and actually the festival that they're talking about is actually a Jewish tradition. It is a festival that, that w- it was aimed to worship God, but then they worship God, and then they also worship the golden calf beside God. Okay, and so if we go a little bit further and even explain kind of what this means to us, I, I, I just was, you know, even in my, my studying this week, I, I kept feeling like, have you ever read through the parts of the Old Testament and the New, Test, uh, the New Testament? And you're just like, dude, the Israelites, man, what were they thinking? Like, I constantly see passages like that, and I'm like, God, no wonder you were mad, you know? And then I felt like the Lord was saying to me that the schemes of the enemy are the same. They just look different today. And so what we have to do as the church, we have to be intimate enough with God to be able to identify the schemes of the enemy and what they look like now, even though it's the same scheme he's been using for thousands of years. And so to me, what this looks like in the church today, and I think uh, Pastor John does an incredible job of accurately depicting the character of God, but in the the nation, in the church, in our country especially, I feel like there are a lot of people who begin to skew the character of God. And every time we do that, we really do. We begin creating a God that's not the God of the Bible. Okay? And it's a scary thing that the church can be filled with people that come in and worship a God they created and not the one that created them. Okay, and so what this looks like, I'm, I'm going to eventually get to this. What it looks like is people can come into the church, maybe you have no background in theology, maybe you have no background in, uh, you know, doctrine of, of any type, and so you come in, and I've heard this preached, and I'm, I'm friends with people on Facebook that do this all the time, and they say, well, you just need to sow another seed, and if you sow another seed, God is going to bless you. And so what we begin to do is we preach absolutes on the character of God that aren't actually absolutes. Okay, and, and, and to say that a different way, I wholeheartedly believe that God calls us to step out in faith, sow seeds, and I do believe that he can bless us, but that doesn't mean that he does it every single time in our timing. Another way to say it is uh, you just need to have a little bit more faith, and if you just had a little bit more faith, God would heal you. And so my healing is then dependent on me. And I want to tell you, I can't heal anybody. Can you? If you can, let me know. I, my knee hurts. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's lots of things that, that, that we can do. Uh, another way I, I think that this is really prevalent in the church today is that um, you need to step out in obedience. And when you step out in obedience, your blessing is right on the other side of obedience. The thing is, I believe that the truth in that is accurate. 
I believe that, that that wholeheartedly, sometimes God wants us to step out in faith. Sometimes I believe he wants us to sow a seed. Sometimes I do believe it. Even there's a passage in, in the New Testament where it talks about you need to increase your faith and you'll be healed. And so I believe that all of those things are true, but what we can't do is begin making absolute statements off of things and characters of God that are not absolute. Okay, and so what this does when someone comes into the church with no theology, no doctrine, or anything like that, they hear the preacher talking about this God that is going to heal me if I increase my faith. He is going to bless me if I'm obedient and sowing a seed. And, it's, and, and what typically happens is we want God to do it in our timing. And it, it, How many people know that God's timing is rarely my timing? Okay, And so this God is presented, this God is preached, and yet this is the God and the character of the actual Bible. And so what happens is there's a disconnect between these two gods, and whenever God doesn't bless you the way you thought he should, or he doesn't heal you the way that you thought you needed to be healed, two thoughts typically come to that person's mind. One is, there's something wrong with me. I need to increase my faith, I need to sow another seed, I need to be more obedient, or God doesn't love me. Or the second one is, God doesn't exist. And I, my age and below, that generation, there are tons and tons of people that are sprinting out of churches all across the country. And the reason I think that is happening is because the church is, has done an ill job of presenting the actual character of God. Because what begins to happen is people come in, the God that they experience in their life is not the God that the preacher's preaching. And so, you know what the, 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 the fastest growing religion in our culture is today? None. Non-religion. And a close second is deism, which means there's a God out there somewhere, but he doesn't care about me. That's the fastest growing religion among young people. And so it's, it's crucial that the church accurately depicts who God is. And to take it even further, it is crucial that believers understand who God is. Okay? Our relationship with him depends on it. It really does. And, and, and what this kind of puts back, it, it places all of the effort on us. It places uh, every bit of the weight on us. And at our very best, this is self-centered, works-driven exclusion, where my relationship with God is all about me. It's not about my neighbor. It's not about me reaching out to people. But it's about how God's going to bless me, heal me, do everything for me, because my God's kind of a genie in a bottle. And if I do everything you know, in, in the right way, I'm trying not to quote a Christina Aguilera song. <laughs> If, if I can do, I keep going back to it, if I do it the right way, God's going to react the way I, I forced him to react. And that's not accurate. It's not. Although, man, God's blessed me when I've sowed seeds. You know what I mean? God, God has healed people. God has, has done works in my body and in my life. And so I can't say that God doesn't do those things, but what I can say is that we typically begin to skew the character of God. And if we skew the character of God even two or three degrees, we place a God on a throne right beside the God of the Bible. Okay, let's, let's jump back in 
to this passage, and um, we're going to read through just kind of another section of, of this, same, this same book, and we have a couple more points. But anyway, we'll jump back in. Exodus chapter 32, we're going to pick up in verse 15. It says, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were, uh, they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So they're trying to make sure that everyone is completely aware that Moses didn't write the, the Ten Commandments. God literally, with his hand, wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, it says, when Joshua heard, so Joshua was up the hill with Moses um, on you know, this 40 days away. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory, it is not the sound of defeat, it is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw down the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into into pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire, then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and then made the Israelites drink it. Boy, he wasn't playing. It said, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. And so I think it's, it's pretty entertaining. How many people have kids and they do something dumb or you've done this before and it's like, oh, I fashioned this golden calf, but then whenever somebody really asks me about it, you're like, man, I don't know. We just, somebody's earring fell off into the fire and a golden calf came out. Like it's, the, the stories don't line up. And so Moses, he, he comes down the hill and He's upset with the Israelite people, and uh, this kind of leads me to point number two, and I'm going to tie this back in, but point number two, I want you to write this down, is we must keep God on his throne. As the church, as Christians, as believers, we have to keep God on the right position on his throne. We We can't keep God on his throne without understanding the character of God. Because if we don't understand the character of God and we begin to skew the character of God, again, we're placing a God beside God. And literally the first commandment says, there will be no other gods beside me. And so while God is writing this on stone tablets up the hill, uh, the Israelite people are down the hill literally creating a God to sit beside God. And I want to tell you again, what does this mean for us today? Because whenever we read the word, we have to find some sort of practical application that says, I, uh, I don't think I have like a literal golden calf in my life, but what does this look like for me today? And, and I want to tell you, whatever the culture worships, that tends to leak over and spill into the religious culture. And so if you know anything about uh, this passage, I didn't know this until I actually started uh, studying a little bit this week. But they made a calf. So a calf is a small bull. And if you know anything uh, about this, this era, and when they left Egypt, guess what was the, one of the most highly regarded gods in Egypt? A bull. Okay? 
also they're surrounded by the land of Canaan. And in that, 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 that season, one of the most regarded and highly worshipped gods in the land of Canaan was also a bull. What is a small bull? A calf. So what, to me, what, what this means to me is that this is symbolic of compromise. Because I think Egypt is symbolic of the past that Israel had being in bondage. And so they're saying, well, Egypt worshipped a bull. And so um, we're going to kind of worship that. But it, we're going to worship a calf, which is not as bad as a bull. And it's the same thing with Canaan. I think Canaan is symbolic of the current culture and their present and how they let the current culture spill over into the church. And I want to tell you that the church is guilty of this today. I really do think that the the church is guilty of this today. And what that looks like, I I think some of the biggest driving factors in, in, in our culture today is greed, is lust, is power, fame. All of these things, they try to spill over into the church. And it could be, again, pastors talking about, you just need to sow another seed. And and God's right around the corner, ready to bless you. You cannot manipulate people spiritually. God have mercy on people that preach that. I don't ever want you to feel that way at our church. Please never feel that way at our church. But despite our culture... We have to be a church that is able to identify the schemes of the the enemy in our current relationship with God, our current church, our current form of worship. And I think, honestly, that the church has done a bad job of this. Because even the Israelite people, if you go back to this story, it's not that they were trying to completely disengage from God. They were just trying to kind of force the hand of God to give them what they wanted in the hour in which they wanted it. And I want to tell you, any time that the the church begins to try to force the hand of God, we're missing the point of who he is. We're missing the point of who he is. And it's crucial that the church is intimate enough with God to, to be able to see what the enemy is doing. It really is. And, and man, I feel like there's been seasons of my life when, man, I really, man, I just, I felt like I could just, it was so easy to hear the voice of God. And he, he would convict me about little things that I would, I would do and I would grow and God would, would, would change things in my heart. But there's also been seasons where I felt like I was far from God where I felt like maybe some small things like that started to creep in and I couldn't identify them. And I believe that now is the season when things are uncertain, that the church is certain about one thing, and it's who God is. It's about what Jesus came to do so I could be set free and made whole, not so I could be a good person, but because uh, so I could be a person that wholeheartedly worshipped him, that followed him and got other people there too. And I want to tell you that the church is, is really not doing a good job of that today. But we must do a good job of that. It's our purpose. And to me, that's one of the biggest shifts in your life as you begin to choose to follow Christ. When you accept him, he brings you peace. He brings you purpose, which means that there's some driving force for us to go out and do something. And what I don't want you to do is get lost in the, I've got to do more. I've got to do more to to, to please God. But I do want to tell you that if he has a purpose for you, that means that there's something for us to do. And we have to be a people that that are willing to be obedient to that. But what we begin to do as believers and as of the church is we begin creating these gods that are 
that are very similar to the God of the Bible, but it's skewed just enough that we're, man, we're creating another throne for him to sit on. And I want to tell you, we can't do that as the church. We can't do that as the church. So despite our culture, despite what surrounds us today, we've got to trust that he's certain that our faith is in him and he's our rock through no matter what we face. Amen? Amen. And so um, just to kind of reiterate that I think in the last days, and, and, and I don't have time to really go into parts of this, it's, it's referenced several times throughout um, the, the New Testament, but in the last days, it constantly says that the church, they're going to seek teachers, preachers, pastors, prophets that are going to tell them what they want to hear. And I want to tell you that today we have to take a step back and redefine what, what the word good means. And to me, one of the, uh, you know, one of the better examples of this is we, we always quote the scripture that, man, God has good for me. His, his, his promises are yes and amen. And, and we, we, we preach and we believe these words that, that benefit me and make me better and they're going to solve my issues that I'm in right now. But I want to tell you, sometimes we have, to, we have to take a step back and say, God, I need to see the word good the way that you see the word good. Because what's good in his eyes is oftentimes not what's good in my eyes. So if you even look at, I, I made the mistake this week, I looked up how all of the disciples died. Don't do that, just so you know. Like, don't look that up. Um, so all of the disciples, but one, were martyred in some way. Some were stabbed to death. A lot were crucified. Many were stoned. Some were hung upside down. And guess what? That was the good and perfect will of God for their life. Does that differ from your definition of good? It's way different than my definition of good for my life. My definition is that I get a raise and, you know, a good job and a nice house and a nice car. That's good. And God is saying that I look at eternity where you look at the end of the week. And so what we have to do as believers is step back and say, God, let me see a little more like you. Because if I see a little more like you, if I'm intimate with you, if I put you on your throne and I get your character right and I'm close with you like Moses was, I'll begin to shift my definition of good. And when I shift my definition of good, man, thorns in our flesh don't seem so bad. The things that, that we dwell and, and go through in our life, they don't seem as bad. But what we can't be is a church that wants to hear what they want to hear. And, and I think this is depicted in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around, uh, gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. And I, I think that the church in many ways, is it, we're very guilty of this. And you know what, what's hard is, I mean, there's churches all across the country that are preaching the true word of God. And people avoid those churches because it's hard. I want to tell you that the truth is hard sometimes, but guess what? I would rather be on that side of truth and enter into heaven one day than to seek out a church that preaches something that I'm going to be blessed every time I turn around because I want to be a blessing to the kingdom. Amen. I want to begin to see like God sees. So thanks, Mr. Larry. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> 
All right, so let's do, uh, let's do the last little part of this passage, and we're going to tie all this stuff together. Is it good so far? God good? Amen. So let's, let's, let's read this. This is Exodus 32. It's the last part of this passage. Uh, verse 25, it says, Moses saw the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out, get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied, rallied to him. So, you know, of the, the 12 slash 13 tribes of Israel, the Levites were the priestly tribe. Uh, it says, then he said to them, this is, um, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to, uh, to, a, to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. And so what Moses is saying, anyone who's flagrantly out here worshiping this golden calf, go out and slay them. We're not playing with that. Dude, Moses didn't play games, y'all. He was, he was serious. It says, Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your sons, your brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And just a, a quick thought on this. What he's saying is, and it, it kind of, let me read this next part and I'll explain this. It says, uh, Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have, been, uh, they have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So what Moses is saying, he said, I know that my people have sinned, and yet instead of casting on them their burden and, and the weight of their sin, put it on me. And you can kill me instead of, uh, instead of blotting them out. And who does that sound a lot like? Jesus. Not only that, he goes up a hill. There's a lot of symbolism there. You can go and study it. It's good stuff. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out uh, of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with uh, the calf Aaron had made. So this kind of leads me to my last point. I want you to write this down. We need to look more like Moses. And I think the, the overarching theme that you can pull from this passage, one, is that we must understand the character of God. We must keep him on his throne. But whenever we do those two things, it gives us a different vantage point. And so this is point number three. We must change our vantage point. So Moses saw from a different position because he sought the one seated at a different position. And I think that now more than ever, this is the time for the church to rise up and say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of, of this skewed character of God. I want to follow him wholeheartedly. And even though I might face persecution, even though I might be broken, even though I might find myself in difficult situations, I would rather see from his vantage point than mine. I would rather see the way God sees than the way the culture wants me to see. I would rather fight for the things that God wants me to fight for than the things that the culture suggests that I should be focused on. And I want to tell you, lay all that stuff aside. That's what God wants us to do today. We have to change the way that we live our life. We have to change the way we view our situations. We have to change our definition of good. And, you know, just this week I was uh, just kind of preparing and I kept being 
reminded of, of a story, and um, it's, it's about one of my, my best friends, and uh, he's actually here today, Mylon Honey's in the back. <laughs> so um, he, he, he plays worship with us all the time. He's a drummer, and uh, man, we've played together, man, 15 years. Uh, it's been a long time. And he's taught me a ton about worship. He's one of my best friends, and he's one of the greatest people that I know. But the reason I say that is because Mylan, he sees from a different vantage point than other people that I know see, even myself a lot of the time. And if you know him, uh, several years ago, he's a a drummer, and he started losing uh, strength in, in his right hand. And couldn't figure it out, went to the doctors, couldn't figure out what was going on, and as a drummer, you know, most people would be devastated that, man, I, I don't know that I can even play drums anymore. And I remember every week, man, we, you know, we'd pray uh, that, that God would heal him, and, and we'd come into the connection, and he would play with us, and he would tie this stick to his hand, and he would get up there and worship. And if you know Mylon, he's probably the happiest drummer I've ever seen in my entire life. But he gets up there, and he'll tie this stick on his hand, and he'll, man, he'll just crush it, you know, on the drums. He'll worship with us. And we, we've been to conferences, we've, we've led worship at different events, and, and so often the thought is, man, you, I'm believing God's going to heal you. And I remember I heard Mylon explain it one time, and he says, you know, uh, every time I get up there to help lead worship, uh, it reminds me that I am wholeheartedly, completely dependent on him to play through me to worship him. And he said, if I'm healed, I don't even want the chance of me losing my dependence on him. So what he says is he would rather have the thorn in the flesh because it it makes him dependent on him. To me, that's the perfect depiction of how the church needs to be today. So instead of, man, God fixing every one of my problems, him meeting every little financial need... Him, him doing every little thing that I want him to do, we need to step back and say, God, if I have to bear this thorn in my flesh until I walk through the pearly gates, so be it, because you're good. God, if I give you every penny for the rest of my life and you never bless me financially, so be it, I owe you more. If I, if I breathe every breath a worship song and a prayer to you, God, you still deserve more. And that's what the weight is, and even referring back to some of these points about, man, all this stuff rests on me and how I have to have more faith. I have to sow another seed. I need to be more obedient. And I feel like God's saying, forget all of that stuff. The price was paid because you couldn't pay it, so stop trying to pay it. How many people are guilty of that? Guys, especially, you want to work for it. You can't work for it. Today, God wants to change our vantage point, and we have to understand that the people in this room, we are the church, and if we get the character of God wrong, how can we teach somebody else about the character of God when our relationship with him has several people sitting on the throne? And I don't want this to be heavy. I don't want this to to feel like I'm, I'm placing a weight on you. But I felt so strongly this week that God wants to come in. And now is the hour for the church to rise up and be the actual church and serve the actual God of the Bible. Y'all, 
it's, it's critical. It's critical. And, you know, even as I was walking around yesterday, I kept thinking that, that God wants us to look outward constantly. And I felt like, you know, one prayer that we always pray is, God, help the church get outside the four walls of the church. And I felt like God was saying, help the church get outside of your own body. Because what we typically do, man, we, we have this relationship with God and we're fighting back and forth trying to do better and not have that sin or deal with this. And, and it's all about me and God. And as, as soon as the enemy has you where you're excluding everyone else, he's won a victory because he lost you. Maybe you'll go to heaven, but now his goal is to get you to not influence anyone else to go there either. Our job as the church is to be people who see the world differently. And I, I don't think I shared this last night, but there's actually a couple, a couple passages in the New Testament. Uh, it's John 21 and Luke 5, where the disciples are fishing. In both of these times, I think it's Jesus in both, both passages, he comes and says, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. They've been fishing all day. They've been laboring all day. They can't catch anything. They cast the net on the other side. It almost sinks their boat because they pull in so many fish. And if you know anything about this passage or these passages, oftentimes when fishermen would go out um, to, to fish, they would have a spotter that would stand on the side of the bank. And if they could, they would even elevate themselves because in areas of, of, of Israel, the water's so clear. If you're standing on the hill, you can see the fish from the hill, but if you're in the boat, you can't. And so what Jesus is doing in these stories, he's saying, I, I'm at this elevated position and I see your life differently than you see. And guess what your purpose is? It's to catch the fish put out a little bit differently, or another way to say it is see a little more like I see. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that God would help elevate our vantage point and he would pull us to a place that says, God, I, I will never be able to see wholeheartedly like you see, but God, one thing I do want to do is the more time I spend with you, what breaks your heart begins to break my heart. And I want to tell you the thing that breaks his heart are lost people. What can we do as a church to reel them in? What can we do as a church to see from a different vantage point? What can we do as a church to fish differently? And I think one thing that we can do as a church is get the character of God right. Keep God on his throne and push away every other God. See from his perspective. So I want to invite the band up and... In just a second, I want to do, do something that's maybe a little bit different this morning. Um, but I, I want us to take just a moment to kind of be a bit introspective and, and let God just kind of speak to our hearts. And that was my prayer for you all morning this morning is that God would speak to our hearts in this moment. But, but real fast, we're going to kind of turn the lights down. I want everybody to close your eyes for just a moment. And I have a couple questions one is if you've been in a position where you feel like maybe you've let other gods kind of creep in beside God. You feel like maybe you've kind of missed the character of God or maybe you've tried to force the hand of God or force the timing of God. And man, we, we're, we're all guilty of this. At some point in our lives, we are all guilty of this. But this morning, I feel like there is freedom and an accuracy that it will come to our hearts and our minds and our spirits of who God is.
And so if that's you, I just want you to slip a hand and just say, man, that's me. I've got some some stuff going on in my life. I I believe that I need to get this right. I just got several hands up. Let me pray for you. God, we say that you're good. God, we thank you that you are so high above us that you see from a different place. God, we humbly come before you today and we say, God, that we repent as the church and as believers when we get you wrong. Lord, I pray that in any way that we've skewed who you are, even a degree, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would help us come before you wholeheartedly, Lord, that there would be no other God beside you, that there would be no other throne beside you, that we would get off our own throne, and Lord, that we would worship you seated alone. God, and I pray that you would just speak to people's hearts right now. Any way that we've made idols, any way that we've made other gods, any way, Lord, that we have been unfaithful to you, help us not... Redo the same mistakes that the Israelites made. Lord, help us not let the culture come over and creep into our relationship with you. Help it be pure. Help it be real. Lord, and I pray that you would help us complete your purpose. Lord, help us reel them in. Help us fish differently. Help us see the way you see people. Lord, our neighbors, our co-workers, the people in our family. Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours today. God, I just sense your presence here. Lord, your peace is so good. Your sovereignty is so good. We welcome you here. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. The, the last question I, I want to make, and I just want to invite everybody to stand, and we're going to close. Uh, I'm running out of time. The, the last question, and, and this is the most important question that we can ask, and it's one, it, are you following Jesus Christ? And I think that's a better way to say it than even saying, are you a Christian? Because that statement by itself is so skewed today, I think anyone could say yes. A better way to say it is, do you follow Christ? Do you believe in who he, who he is, who he was, what he came to do on the cross, that he rose again and that he gives us purpose, peace, and he can make us whole. He can set us free not only from the thorns in our flesh, but from our sin so we can wholeheartedly pursue him and pursue other people. If you have not accepted Jesus into your life as your savior and you want to do that today, we want to we make an opportunity for that. So right now I want our prayer team to come down front. We have several of our, our pastors here. Mr. Terry's over here by the cross as well. If you want to receive Christ and you're being just kind of pulled and you're saying, man, I need to make a step. I've had it wrong. I need to make a step this morning. If that's you, man, we want to pray for you. If you want prayer because, man, you, you've kind of gotten the character of God skewed a little bit or you have other things that have crept into your life and you want God to deliver you from those things, man, come down for prayer. And I feel like I need to make this, this discernment here. One is God doesn't always deliver us from the thorns in our flesh, but he always delivers us from sin. Okay? If you're struggling with sin, God can and will right in this moment deliver you. That's something that is an absolute. 
So really fast, let's pray one last time. We're going to go into a worship song. And I just pray that, man, God would just work on our hearts this morning. Amen. Won't you pray with me? So, Lord, we thank you for every heart that's here. And, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave here with a weight, but, Lord, that we would leave here with a freedom because you are in control. There's nothing for us to fear because, God, you communicate with us. Lord, you forgive us, and you have mercy and grace. And, Lord, we ask that this morning that you would help us draw close to you, help us be your hands and feet. Bless your people today. God, we thank you, Lord, we love you, and we say all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. We're going to worship. If you need prayer for anything at all, come, come pray. We'd love to pray for you. Amen.